Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, State Representative John Cross has introduced a major new piece of legislation aimed at educating and expanding Ohio's workforce. He will join us to talk about the Grow Ohio Act. Also this morning, a fair amount of seemingly conflicting information has been reported about the Omicron variant. What, if anything, should we actually believe about this new strain of COVID-19? In our ongoing Keeping the Faith series, there is a joy that comes from introducing someone to Christ, but Christian musicians who touch thousands of lives usually don't know those stories. And happening around town, director Kevin Manley previews this weekend's 21st annual FFE and VIP Christmas show. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, December 8th, 2021. Today is National Brownie Day. I may have to make myself some bake myself some brownies today. It is National Christmas Tree Day. Uh, pretend to be a, oh, it's kind of interesting, National Christmas Tree Day. Um, I saw a, a, a report, and I don't have it in front of me here. I thought it was interesting. Christmas tree growers insist there is not a Christmas tree shortage. Uh, my wife and I, uh, along with our kids, we had a family outing at the Christmas tree farm uh, this past weekend, and we noticed that it was slim pickings. <laughs> now, I realize that we were a little bit late. A lot of folks had already been out to the tree farm and picked out their trees, but it seemed like there were very slim pickings left. And you drive by uh, Christmas tree lots and uh, you see there are a lot fewer than what we've been used to uh, in recent seasons. But they say uh, it's not a Christmas tree shortage. What we had a few years ago was a Christmas tree glut they actually had more trees than they could sell, and that's not a good thing. So they cut back on the number that they planted, and now they have just enough. So supply matches demand. It's not a shortage. Uh, it's not a glut. So it seems like a shortage. So kind of interesting. I guess it potato, potato. Yes. Uh, but anyway, National Christmas Tree Day today. Pretend to be a time traveler day. I want to time travel back to July when it was uh, still warm outside. That's what I do. National Lard Day <laughs> and National Take It in the Ear Day, which I have no idea what that means, but that's what it says. Take It in the Ear Day. Uh, because we're uh, at the in the home studio this morning, I hesitated to bring this up. One of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. But I thought it was so interesting, I had to bring it up nonetheless. Working from home, it says, according to researchers from the Rotterdam School of Management, working at home increases your chances of making mistakes. Uh, specifically, they found that remote working could hinder people's ability to carry out ment mentally intense tasks. Um, scientists uh, looked at chess players uh, in... Coming to this conclusion, they examined chess players. Uh, the uh, research, lead researcher, uh, Dianis Zegners, says chess in many ways is similar to the work of the Knowledge Society's office workplaces. The game is strategic, analytical. It takes place under the pressure of time. It's very time-sensitive. Cognitive skills used in chess, he says, are also used for complicated tasks 
such as drafting legal contracts or preparing a tender document, the kind of tasks that require clear and precise thinking. And their results, this researchers, uh, their results show a clear decrease in the overall performance in the remote setting, which is particularly pronounced at the beginning of the time period when chess players had to switch from playing in a, I guess, a controlled environment like an office would be versus playing from home. And thus, the researchers conclude, we believe the initial drop in cognitive performance and the adaptation time might be even more pronounced for uh, work remote workers. So, like I said, I'm the home studio this morning. I hesitated to bring that up, but then I thought, well, this is not a job that requires a whole lot of cognitive thinking anyway. So. <laughs> Probably doesn't doesn't apply to me. I joke about uh, the whole winter thing. And I am not a winter person. I think we've established that. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I am not uh, a uh, a winter person per se. Uh, but from the journal Psychology Today, a list of eight reasons to love the winter season. So if you are like me, not a winter person, consider these things. And I have to admit, this is a pretty good list. Eight reasons to love the winter season. Number one, the way the ground glitters in the sunshine of a frosty morning. That is a beautiful sight. I will admit that. As long as I'm inside looking at it through the window. <laughs> Number two, how cute and cozy you feel in your wool hat with the pom-pom. And of course, you have to have, to have the pom-pom on the top. So that's number two. Number three, the soft glow of scented candles all around the house. What's not to love about that? Number four on the list of eight reasons to love the winter season, sitting under a blanket by a, by a roaring fire in the fireplace. And if you don't have one, you can put a roaring fireplace on from Netflix. <laughs> it's not quite the same, but you get the idea. Drinking infinite cups of herbal tea, especially the Christmas spiced ones. Actually, a hot mug of anything in your hand always makes you feel better. And I would have to concur with that. If I've got a nice piping hot mug of hot chocolate on a cold day, nothing is better than that. Item number six, eight reasons to love the winter season. Number six, wearing comfy knits which make you feel like you're constantly being hugged. I do like a, a nice, comfy sweater uh, in the wintertime. Uh, that is the one thing that I do look forward to in the wintertime is being able to pull out my sweaters. I love my sweaters. Stargazing in the cold is number seven. The frosty nights always bring forth the best stars. And that, I think, is true as well. And number eight... The eight reasons to love the winter season, eating steamy stews, like a beef stew, a good hearty beef stew, uh, just fills your heart with warmth. So there you go. Eight reasons to love the winter season. Hard to argue with those, with all of those things. And especially the part about the, uh, the hearty stews. I mean, if you're in Florida and it's 80 degrees, 
beef stew just doesn't have the same impact as it does when it's 25 degrees with a wind chill of 19 as it is this morning. Anyway, kind of interesting. This is going to get things going to talk about the uh, most important, most uh, buzzworthy stories of the day. This certainly fills the bill. And once this story gets out on social media, there are going to be all kinds of people talking about this. The city of Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, you remember they removed the statues of Confederate generals Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson back in July after a four year legal fight. You remember the violent Unite the Right rally that took place in protest of the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue. Now, back in July, they took down the Lee statue and the Stonewall Jackson statue in Charlottesville, Virginia, and now we know what's going to happen. At least with the Lee statue, the Charlottesville City Council voted yesterday to donate it to the Jefferson School African American Heritage Center, which will melt it down and recast it into a new work of public art. The museum was the only local organization to ask for the monuments of the six formal requests the city got when it solicited bids for the statues. The Jefferson School Museum plans to consult with Charlottesville residents and sit a jury to pick the final concept for the public art piece which will be donated back to the city. As other locations in the country have taken down Confederate monuments in recent years, some, like the Lee statue, have been decommissioned, while others have been donated to museums or to private collectors. But they're going to melt the statue down and recast it. There are going to be some people who are going to be all up in arms over there. You can just see it now. That is going to be... So, I just... Let you know this story because when this gets out, social media is going to be all over this one. Uh, let's see here. Of course, this is the season of holiday gatherings. You're hosting a Christmas party for friends or family. Getting people to leave when the gathering is over can sometimes be tricky. Uh, Thomas P. Farley, who writes the nationally syndicated etiquette column, Mr. Manners, says hosts never want to appear as though they are pulling the plug on an event that everyone is still enjoying, nor does a host want to make guests feel that they have overstayed their welcome. One of the prime directives for any host is seeing to the comfort and enjoyment of their guests. So you don't want to just throw them out. But uh, etiquette expert Diane Gotsman says, ideally, guests should check the time and sense that the party is over without you having to imply the party is over. She says, if you are a guest, the rule of thumb is that you don't want to be the first to leave and you certainly don't want to be the last. Uh, she says, if you are hosting, you can be politely transparent with your guests and say something like, it's been really nice to have all of you here together tonight. I'm getting a bit sleepy from the exciting evening, and I'm going to have to call it a night very soon. I hope you have enjoyed yourself, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. That's a pretty hefty hint right there, if you say something like that. It's not quite saying, get out. 
but it's pretty darn close. Another thing you could do, send out an invitation of some kind that includes the start and end time of the party. That's probably the easiest thing to do, is just to set an end time. I mean, a lot of formal occasions will state an end time, so why not uh, state an end time to your party right up front? And so they say, and... And one other item here among the first things you need to know this morning. This, one of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. As you are out taking your dog for its morning walk, a study conducted by Protect My Paws, uh, which is a, a pet insurance company, has ranked Pittsburgh as the dog poopiest city in the United States. <laughs> the dog poopiest city in the U.S., Poopsburg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> uh, they measured this by the number of complaints about abandoned dog do uh, on social media. And Pittsburgh was number one with the most uh, tweets about that. And I would that's I hate when that happens. Uh, so Pittsburgh, number one, Seattle came in second, followed by Atlanta. Uh, other top poopiest cities in the U.S. include San Francisco, Buffalo, New Orleans, Austin, Texas, <laughs> and how appropriate is this? Washington, D.C. <laughs> Colorado is the poopiest state, followed by Oregon, New Hampshire, Washington State, Minnesota, and insert your own joke here, New York. <laughs> so now you know. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. Important stuff to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast becoming mostly sunny today with a high of 34, partly cloudy tonight, a low of 23. State Representative John Cross has introduced a bill to incentivize Ohio's younger population to live, learn, work, and prosper in Ohio instead of leaving the state after graduation. He announced a bill that would boost Ohio college grants, provide tax breaks to companies offering paid college internships, and provide up to 100 merit-based scholarships of $25,000 each to out-of-state students. His bill would also exempt any graduate of an Ohio college who takes a full-time job in the state from paying state income tax for three years. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. The Ohio Tax Credit Authority has approved a 1.1% seven-year job creation tax credit for Whirlpool in Ottawa. Whirlpool expects to create 100 full-time positions, generating $3.7 million in new annual payroll as a result of the company's expansion project in Ottawa. In November, Whirlpool announced it would be investing more than $65 million over the next several years into its factory in Ottawa. Get more on our website. Information is still sparse about what led to the release of three more hostages from the Ohio-based missionary group Christian Aid Ministries who were taken captive by a gang in Haiti in mid-October. So why have five of the 17 hostages been released? A former FBI negotiator explains. It could be a whole host of factors. It could be the medical condition of the particular folks that are being released. Um, it could be just the fact that having 17 hostages and moving surreptitiously is not easy to do. Neither the group nor the State Department has identified any of the hostages that have been released at this time. That's ONN's Yolanda Harris reporting. Finley Mayor Christina Mern was honored by the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition for her work to advocate for U.S. global leadership as an imperative 
an effective approach to strengthening our country's local communities. The USGLC paid tribute to mayors across America at its virtual 2021 tribute celebration, and Mayor Mern was recognized for her outspoken advocacy on how leading globally matters locally. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So our cover story this morning, earlier this week, State Representative John Cross introduced a major new piece of legislation aimed at educating and expanding Ohio's workforce. It is called the GROW Act, which stands for Graduate and Retain Ohio's Workforce. Uh, Ms. Cross, thanks very much for uh, being with us this morning. This is major legislation. This is not something that you... Uh, just sit down and write in a couple of hours one afternoon you get an idea in your head this is pretty comprehensive stuff what went into uh, developing this plan kind of take us through the uh, genesis of this sure sure good morning chris morning everybody uh i was appointed by the speaker to chair the higher education subcommittee on finance and this really started nine months ago you know we put together a really good operating budget and in ohio we do a really good job uh, providing scholarship dollars for Ohio students to go to college. It's important for students who want to go to trade school, community college, and to a four-year degree school. We, we support all pathways of a student's career pathway and education. But I wanted to focus uh, on – we have other legislation dealing with, with – uh, career tech, trade schools, and community colleges, but I wanted to focus on on policy for students getting their four-year degree, bachelor's degree, because there's a big demand in Ohio for those jobs. So, so over the past nine months, we put together uh, the Grow Ohio Act, and it really is designed to help with the recruitment and retention of students because in Ohio, we have a population problem, and therefore, we have a workforce problem. So we're trying to increase our population, expand our workforce pool, and quite frankly, widen our tax base, Chris, so you and I and everyone listening don't feel the pressure of paying all the taxes when you're shrinking a population. Yeah. Uh, one of the provisions would provide tax breaks for college graduates that stay in Ohio. Uh, there are other provisions which would include forgivable student loans, grants and scholarships, and so on. Uh, you talk about uh, this um, has been in the works for quite some time. We worked on the uh, state budget. Were you kind of given uh, uh, sort of a, a target uh, in terms of the cost of this? Because one of the questions that's been raised is how is all of this uh, paid for? Sure. Well, uh, the, uh, the to, to highlight the bill, there's, there's, there's four key incentives that you talked about. It's really partnerships, uh, the state partnering with business and education, and so the first the first is if a if a uh, incentive for a community college student who gets their two year degree if they go to Owens and Finley and they earn their two year degree we'll have more scholarship money in the budget to, for that student to uh, continue to earn a four year degree from the business perspective any business that offers a paid internship 
paid apprenticeship or co-op, we appreciate them doing that. That's a real, that is a direct pipeline for students to get hired. We're going to offer a 30% tax cut, tax break on those paid wages. We hope that the businesses will then take that savings and actually create more internships because it's just a fabulous way to hire students. Next, in the state budget I talked about, Chris, we, we have lots of money for Ohio students, but we don't have any merit-based scholarships for out-of-state students. We, we have a, a brain drain problem in Ohio, so to, to you know counter that with the brain gain, we are offering $25,000 scholarships for students who are the top 5% of their high school classes around the country and would be interested in getting a degree within a STEM field. And all that would be actually a forgivable loan if they stay in Ohio for one, two, and three years. It'll be a 100% forgivable loan. And then last, as you talked about the biggie, which everyone's excited about, if you're an Ohio uh, graduate of an Ohio school, a university or college, public or private, could be the University of Finley or Ohio State or Bowling Green. If you take a job offer in Ohio versus out of state, we will give you up to three years of no income tax. You will get 100% refundable state income tax for up to three years where you can pay down your college debt, pay down student loans, maybe invest in uh, your future MBA or continuing to invest in your education. Mm-hmm. It's a thank you for staying here because what we have learned, Chris, is up to 40% of college graduates in Ohio are leaving the state yeah. for out-of-state jobs. Uh, which is uh, an issue that we have talked about before, which is, uh, of course, one of the right. reasons why uh, this uh, legislation is so substantial. And you kind of were touching on this, uh, who this would apply to. It applies to students uh, in Ohio who stay in state, and also it applies to students from other states who come to Ohio to study and then and stay to live correct that's right that's does right this, that's exactly right we, does, we're trying to we're trying to attract people to ohio and for all of our 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 beloved folks here in the buckeye state who who, who are born and raised here mm-hmm. we're trying to make sure we're not trying to take for granted that they'll stay here we're going to make sure that they stay here right what about uh ohio students who study elsewhere but then return to the state. I mean, it may uh, be that there is a field where the best schooling in the country is not necessarily in the state of Ohio, uh, may want to go out of state, but then return to the state of Ohio. Would they be eligible for any of these uh, benefits as well? They, they would not. And, and the point of that is there's certainly nothing wrong for a student that wants to go to a college or university outside of Ohio. But we, we feel uh, with taxpayer dollars that this incentive is best designed for students that are going to attend uh, any one of our fabulous institutions of higher education. And, and, and we have plenty of them. We're known for some of the best colleges and universities. And quite frankly, if they do, if they do go to a college or university out of state, we have an even greater percentage and a greater chance that they won't return. So, well, that's and, why I'm and, saying and, if they and, if they commit yeah, yeah. to if they commit to returning uh, to the state of Ohio, uh, why not making them eligible at least for the uh, three year tax break, for example? Well, hey, you know, 
It's a great idea, and I tell you what, uh, that's the best part about uh, legislating this bill. We we will look at that actually. Uh, you you might get credit for, for creating that idea. <laughs> plant that because, seed. Um, you yeah, plant that seed because you, that we we could certainly make that uh, potentially an, uh, uh, an opportunity. You talked about and you mentioned, and I just want to clarify this uh, that uh, some of these provisions are targeted at uh, STEM careers specifically, and we know that is the direction that much of the American economy and much of the Ohio economy is going. But are these provisions limited to simply those who study in STEM career fields? I mean, we're going to need no. we're going to need accountants, and we're going to need teachers and other things as sure. well. Yeah, that's right. Law enforcement officials, right. doctors, everybody. No, the, the the STEM field is only for the merit based scholarship because gotcha. it is actually it follows the Choose Ohio First. Uh, uh, program in the state budget. We actually linked it to the Choose Ohio First line item in the budget because we have to obviously fund it and we need to, to have a funding source. So we decided to ch- use the Choose Ohio First program because that is a STEM-driven uh, scholarship program, and we've just turned it into a merit-based gotcha. scholarship. But let me go back to your question because because I, I didn't get uh, I didn't get a chance to answer. You asked a really good question about how does how do we pay for all this? Well, well number one, we we can't afford to do nothing right now. We're actually losing money because we're losing taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Number two, it, it, it'll cost money, but it'll cost money to make money. And we're actually trying to get some dynamic scoring done because if it costs us, obviously, you know, millions of dollars, we might make millions of dollars back because we're keeping students here. And if you think about it, if they're, if they're staying and living here, they're paying sales tax, they're contributing to the economy. So the overall impact uh, of the state, it could be good. And then last but not least, on the major incentive about giving their state income tax back, well, that's their money. Yeah, it's it's Certain, all we're doing right. is just refunding their money. Right. So it's it's uh, yeah, so that, parts of the bill might might cost us, and other parts of the bill, uh, it, you know, the greedy tax collector well, can collect their taxes years four through ninety nine, but for the first three years, we want to give them a helping hand. Yeah, would that that part of it would be uh, theoretically at least revenue neutral? Um, you mentioned, sure. and just to, to touch on this real quickly in the time that we have left, uh, skilled trades. Um, you know, yeah. it's been one of the one of the big narratives over the past uh, several years has been emphasizing that there are really good paying careers to be had in these skilled trades, and yet much of the training for some of those uh, trades requires some pretty expensive, uh, you know, specialized schooling there. You you kind of alluded to perhaps uh, some additional legislation that would address that as well in a similar fashion. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Not too far away from us. Uh, Senator Bill Reideke has uh, House Bill 166 currently in our uh, um, in the Ohio House. We hope to vote that off the floor, but they'll do a lot of great things uh, within within the uh, career tech and uh, mm-hmm. areas. Uh, we, we've also, in the budget, uh, have given a lot of money for our education system, and part of that includes, uh, I think we had a, 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 an increase, particularly in my, my committee, for uh, career tech and, and those um, 
uh, trade schools, okay. we actually increased a couple billion dollars in the budget. So we've provided some additional funding and support because you're absolutely right. If you think about Millstream right there in Finley and, and the wonderful job that they do, well, when you think about uh, engineering or welding or all kinds of programs that they offer, it, you know, even the culinary uh, uh, yeah. that they offer, that equipment's expensive. And yeah. to maintain and modernize equipment in the classroom so students are learning from the best, that, that's a perfect example of why we want to continue to fund those opportunities so students are learning from modernized technology. Uh, so we will uh, watch for that uh, similar legislation. I want to say companion legislation, but similar legislation, sure. which may be forthcoming uh, with respect to that. Again, uh, State Representative John Cross this morning with us talking about the uh, new Grow Ohio Act. We've got a link up for more information at our webpage. Ms. Cross, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Well, over the course of the past couple of weeks, there have been a flurry of headlines on the newly detected Omicron variant of COVID-19, and it seems much of what we hear from one day to the next kind of conflicts with something we've heard the day before. So what do we really know? What are we to believe? Where are we right now? Dr. Stephen Gordon is chair of the Department of Infectious Disease at the Cleveland Clinic and spokesperson for the We Can Do This COVID-19 public education campaign. And that kind of goes along with the most dire predictions about the uh, Omicron variant perhaps being resistant to the vaccine. That We're going to be right back where we started a year ago. And some hear that and wonder, can we really do this? Well, first of all, let me just say thank you uh, for giving the opportunity. And um, in some ways, it is still what we would say discovery. Um, we don't know a lot, but a lot of information is coming forward. Yeah. But let's level set because we're here in, you know, as we're closing out the uh, year 2021, we know a lot more than we did a year ago. And we're in a different position than we are a year ago. Mm-hmm. As you know, probably there's been 270 million uh, Americans that have received vaccines. It's estimated that that alone has saved almost 270,000 lives. That's a big victory, so to speak. Um, And although we have not controlled the pandemic, we are clearly have the tools available to us to really decrease what we'd say the morbidity, the mortality, um, as well as get back to what we want to say normal life. Yeah. So our biggest tool in the box there is our current vaccines. Omicron aside, our current vaccines are extremely effective against all the known variants of concern and have really done a lot to prevent morbidity and and death. In terms of what this new variant of concern will do, I think it's too early to state. Um, The alarm is is that it carries a lot of quote-unquote mutations, which are just changes in the RNA of the virus, Mm -hmm. and that happens. But yeah, it's, it's worth. Yet, we, no, just to interject, it, it, just to interject, it, it's worth pointing out, and I think maybe this has been missed. The the mutations we hear about, all of the mutations that this has, that doesn't necessarily necessarily in and of itself make it uh, a more dangerous uh, strain just because it has mutations. I mean, all viruses mutate. That doesn't necessarily mean that again we're back where we started, right? That's correct. And if you remember, there have been other variants with other mutations. Uh, and we can go back to, you know, we've been through the alpha, the delta, but remember there was the beta right. um, that also have not uh, turned into what we would say uh, Armageddon. And at this point in time, from the preliminary information coming out of South Africa, and again, I say this preliminary, it would appear one, 
it may be more easy to catch from person to person, but to date, the illnesses that are being described are relatively mild. We do not know about um, prior vaccination, whether that's protective or not. Mm -hmm. And so these are things that are being studied right now. But I will pivot back to where we started from. And let's stay here in the homeland, for instance. Uh, You know, we still, unfortunately, are having about 1,000 deaths a day and up to 80,000 cases. And most of these, especially the severe cases, are occurring in the unvaccinated. So that is still our major target are those people who have not been vaccinated and certainly have not had prior COVID. And to expand on that, despite all of the alarming news about Omicron, uh, that's what everyone is talking about right now. It's actually still the Delta variant that is of greatest concern in our area this winter, at least to this point, right? That's correct. I mean, since its introduction into the homeland here in the summer, it has been the predominant strain in the United States, you know, over 99% of the strains. What effect, uh, and we know that, that Omicron is here in the United States, the extent of which we certainly don't know yet, um, but how the viral dynamics will take place over the course of the next couple of months, we don't know. But it's another reason to get vaccinated and if you're in that window to get boosted. Yeah. So uh, with respect to this variant, as you point out, uh, you know, it's only been out there for a couple of weeks. And uh, certainly uh, those reports of it being more virulent uh, appear to be accurate. It's only taken about two weeks to go from a single case in South Africa to confirmed cases in virtually every part of the world. But it is still only two weeks. So how much can we expect be expected to really know about it uh, in such a short amount of time? And how long will it take to know exactly what we are dealing with with respect to that? Yeah. So other good questions. Let me just point out, you mentioned virulent. I'm not certain that we've established more virulent. It it, it certainly may be more readily spread. But remember, if you go back to the previous um, pandemic of H1N1, that was a pandemic and that virus also spread very quickly, Mm. but it was not exceptionally virulent. Okay. And, And so, you know, if this causes what we would say colds or breakthroughs that are just minor, that's okay yeah. um, in terms of this. And I think that's where we really want to keep the eye on the ball, whether we're talking about prior immunity, vaccination, or new variants. Um, what really matters for us, you know, as providers and the patients, is does it cause major disease and death as opposed to a relatively mild cold or sniffles? Uh, and that's kind of where we're going. Um, and so, to your point, when will we know? Well, there's already ongoing studies um, that are challenging with pseudovaccines against the convalescent serum to see, by, by and large, whether or not people who have been vaccinated may, may generate protective antibodies. That's one way. The other way are studies in the field. Those are obviously ongoing in South Africa to try to characterize the illness and transmissibility of people infected with Omicron. And of course, more laboratory sequencing being done worldwide to look for the spread of Omicron uh, globally. And, and remember, here in the United States, about 20% of our COVID isolates are sequenced. So that's not 100%, but it's still a pretty good sampling uh, nationwide of what variants, including Omicron, are circulating. And so to reemphasize the bottom line in all of this, knowing what we do about the current strains that are circulating here, this new one uh, that may be on the way, and who knows what might happen next, the guidance really has not changed as far as best practices to protect ourselves. And let's review that because that's a great point. We are in respiratory viral season. 
I know that we've added COVID to that menu, but when we talk about that, we talk about respiratory syncytial virus. We talk about influenza, which is now also circulating. We talk about other non-COVID coronaviruses that cause common colds and rhinovirus. So some of the some of the what we, what you would say the protections for most of those are going to be the same in terms of hand hygiene, cover the cough, and masking. In terms of vaccines. For those respiratory viruses I mentioned, there's really only two vaccine platforms, one for COVID-19 and one for influenza. Those are our best protection. And again, we know how to prevent infection. We know also how to prevent transmission. And these are the basic things. Again, you know, if you're feeling sick, stay home. There's access to testing now, uh, including the rapid testing at home that doesn't require an appointment. Mm -hmm. And so we encourage people now, take care of yourselves. If you're feeling sick, stay home and then get access to testing. So, you know, is it COVID? Is it, is it influenza or is it neither of those? Again, Dr. Stephen Gordon is chair of the Department of Infectious Disease at the Cleveland Clinic, spokesperson for the We Can Do This COVID-19 public education campaign. Dr. Gordon, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for all your service. And I wish all your viewers a happy and healthy holiday season. Today, in our Keeping the Faith series, you know, one of the joys of evangelism, maybe you have experienced this yourself, if you're lucky, is when you can introduce someone to Christ and then watch them grow uh, in their faith journey. It is such a personal joy uh, to watch that faith blossom. But for Christian musicians who may touch thousands of lives with their witness, they usually don't get to know those stories. They don't get to see the harvest of that witness. John Clemens reports this morning, Keeping the Faith. When the spoken or written word fails, there's a chance music will touch a person's heart. Christian artist Kate Thompson views his album, Bigger Story, as a way to touch people for Christ. You know, for me, I, that's really how I see my music is evangelistic music. There's people that listen to my music that maybe have never heard of Jesus before, but they see something so different in that. And that's really what inspired this debut album of mine, Bigger Story. If I could explain Jesus to someone that maybe has never heard of Jesus before, that's how it, I would explain it in the song, Bigger Story. The gospel message is in the lyrics of his music. It's beautiful. I, I know music really can touch the heart. Music is like a universal language, right? It can talk to anybody at any point in time. And that's why I make the music that I make, because the music alone is powerful, the gospel alone is powerful, and music and the gospel together is really unstoppable. Kate Thompson is following in the footsteps of other great Christian performers. Three people I've looked up to growing up in, in the Christian music world really are Phil Wickham, Toby Mack, and Matthew West. I think they've been able to do exactly what I've been talking about this whole time and step into culture and reach people with songs through the power of the gospel and music. This culture is starving for the hope that can only be found in Christ. I know for me, it's really all about stepping into today's culture and writing songs that can speak exactly to where people are at right now and where they're going to be at in the next six months from now and allowing God to speak through that. When listening to the lyrics of Kate Thompson, you hear, In this world, 
there will be trouble, but take heart, take heart. He has overcome the world. A lot of times people say that some of my songs have become life anthems for them that have helped them get through certain seasons because they see something so special and different about the power of Christian music that it's not just empty words, but it's actually life-giving lyrics in every single song. Like countless others around the world, the power of Christian radio has been a blessing to Kate Thompson that he now wants for the next generation. I grew up hearing songs on the radio that impacted me and to know that I'm able to have a full circle impact on other people's lives that were just like me when I was their age. It's pretty cool, man. I feel truly blessed. The advice from Kate Thompson is to follow wherever the Lord leads you every day. Man, I think there's a lot of people that can relate to a lot of my story that maybe God has put a dream on their heart. They have a dream on their heart at a young age and maybe They don't really know what the next step is, and it's cool because I've been able to really encourage them to stay faithful to where you're planted and let God do the rest and take it to wherever He wants to take it. We just have to stay faithful and serve the Lord every single day. While performing before a live audience, Kate Thompson will often look at certain faces and wonder what God is doing in their lives. Really, I just try to to step in to whatever they're walking through and share the hope of Jesus through my music. I know a lot of people go to a concert walking through a lot of different situations and a lot of different stories, and I know that if we can invite God into that moment, it can really change everything. Cade Thompson shares his prayer for the album Bigger Story. My hope for this record and my prayer for this record is that people would be able to listen to this album and look at their story and see God in their story first but also invite God into their story and allow God to transform them from the inside out. Jesus has changed my life, and I hope that I can inspire others to allow him to do the same in their lives as well. This is John Clemens reporting. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. This pair... Uh, I believe is in the running for the Criminal Genius of the Year Award. Criminal Geniuses of the Year Award. <laughs> this is pretty good. A pair of burglars were caught on surveillance video crashing into a storefront in Westwood, California and stealing all the jewelry that was on display in the window. What, what they probably didn't know at the time was that the store uses fake jewelry in its storefront display cases, probably for this very reason. (laughs) The robbers ended up making off with just $200 worth of fake merchandise. (laughs) And in the process, caused $15,000 to $20,000 in damages breaking into the store. (laughs) The... The incident, which was, which happened this past weekend, is still under investigation. The uh, criminals remain at large. But can you imagine? Can you imagine that I would love to be the pawn shop worker uh, when these geniuses come in and try and pawn off this jewelry, only to learn that it's all fake. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. 
<clears throat> that may be one of my favorite stories of the year. That's in the running for the Criminal Genius of the Year Award, I think. Uh, you know how sometimes you order Christmas gifts online and maybe it's not exactly right. Not exactly. There's a problem. Have you ever had that happen? Man, it can be a hassle. A man in the UK was really upset about a statue that he ordered for a co-worker. Chris Marsh had to buy a secret Santa gift for his work buddy, Tom. And so he ordered a reproduction of the ancient Greek statue of Hercules and uh, Diomedes for about $60. The model shows the two characters locked in a battle and both are completely naked because, you know, ancient Greece are always naked. (laughs) Here's the problem. The model uh, turns out when it arrived, the statue, (laughs) one of the Greek gods, and I'm not sure which one, whether it's Hercules or Diomedes, was missing a testicle. (laughs) (laughs) So it was not anatomically correct. (laughs) Mr. Marsh was upset. He uh, contacted Wayfair, which is where he bought the statue from. Uh, They offered him a 33% discount to make up for it. You know, if you really think about it, it should be a 25% discount because it was only 25% of the (laughs) male anatomy that was missing. He says he still plans to give the gift this Christmas, but he's upset that it's (laughs) not correct. (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. This is missing something. (laughs) Wonder if his friend will notice. Elsewhere in the broken news, police in Utah say an in-home daycare had to be shut down after officers allegedly found a meth lab inside. (laughs) Well, police in Sandy City, Utah, and the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force served a warrant on the home as part of a child abuse investigation while their officers discovered a meth lab inside the home daycare. They called the health department to shut the daycare down. <laughs> People who run, you know, in-home daycare uh, operations usually have other money-making operations on the side, but that's probably not a good one there. A Detroit couple is, this is one that you can file under the category of sounded like a good idea at the time. A Detroit couple is facing charges for filing around 470 false jobless claims during the pandemic and obtaining $13 million in illegally obtained benefits in five states. $13 million. Uh, This couple charged with wire fraud, mail fraud, money laundering, and aggravated identity theft. Federal officials say the couple attempted to receive $4 million in benefits and used fake Social Security numbers, their own names, and false names to file the claims. Couple was arrested yesterday. (laughs) Hey, they're handing out all this free unemployment. We should claim some of that. 
The thing is, think of how much work actually went into claiming these unemployment benefits illegally. It's kind of ironic when you really think about it. And finally, in the uh, broken news... Some mystery UFO sounds recorded from under a lake in Colorado have sparked a bizarre alien-based conspiracy. Um, Recordings taken from Steamboat Springs, Colorado, uh, recorded by an employee of the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Service back on December 2nd, have gone viral online. The staff member posted them to Twitter, and uh, they have subsequently been shared to UFO Sightings Daily. (laughs) Alien website where they have been described as strange Star Wars sounds. Analyzing the audio, truth seeker Scott Waring says, quote, white sphere UFOs have been recorded and eyewitnesses by the thousands have uh, been documented in Colorado over the last few years. (laughs) The truth is out there. Who knows? Science says there's probably a logical explanation, but that's not as much fun. (laughs) Strange uh, UFO sounds from under a lake in Colorado. All righty then. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. I've been driving trucks for a long time. Safety is my number one priority. I know that my truck has huge blind spots. That's why I remember to check my mirrors often for smaller vehicles. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're behind the wheel, try to avoid lingering in those blind spots. It can be dangerous. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. For years, veterinarians have recommended that pet owners feed their dogs twice a day for optimal health. And they make that recommendation for all kinds of reasons. But new research from the University of Washington suggests that feeding your pooch just once a day could reduce the risk of them dealing with age-related health issues. Researchers polled information from over 20,000 pet owners, and about 8% of dog owners reported only feeding their pet once each day. Those dogs scored nearly one point lower on a test for cognitive dysfunction compared to dogs who were fed more often. In other words, uh, they were less likely, slightly, to have cognitive dysfunction in old age. The dogs fed once a day also had a 59% lower risk of having liver issues and 35% lower chance of having gastrointestinal disease, as well as lower risk for kidney and urinary issues, orthopedic problems, and dental concerns. Now, researchers uh, acknowledge that this study had its limitations, but they note that if their findings are supported by future studies, it could be wise to revisit the currently predominant recommendation that dogs be fed twice daily, particularly for older dogs. As they age, it may be 
better to wean them off the twice-a-day feeding and uh, only feed them once a day once they get older. Again, more research has to be done, but they are taking this research and expanding on that, and I guess it's something to uh, keep an eye out for in the future with respect uh, to your dogs. But at least for older pets, they seem to do better health-wise. They're only fed once a day. Something to keep in mind if you have uh, older or geriatric dogs at home. Well, in case you haven't heard, need to let you know that the All-Star Christmas Jam that was scheduled for this evening at Alexandria's uh, with uh, the Big Kahuna, our classic rock sister station, 106.3 The Fox, will not be happening this evening. I uh, had to make the very difficult and disappointing decision to postpone that event out of an abundance of caution. Some of the All-Star band members reported feeling ill. And uh, the one thing about Alexandria is, and, and they are great hosts, it is a great venue, we love being there, but it, it is rather tight quarters. It's not, it's not very easy to social distance at Alexandria's, and so uh, we felt that it was uh, best for all involved to go ahead and postpone that event out of an abundance of caution given current situations um, and we are working on a, a new date for that event it will most likely not be before Christmas unfortunately for the all-star Christmas jam but uh, we are told that we are going to make every effort to make sure that it happens this year uh, in the meantime encourage you to continue to support the Toys for Tots campaign locally especially this year but uh, the all-star Christmas jam unfortunately has had to be postponed we were talking about that yesterday with Kahuna, so I wanted to make sure that you were aware of that. One thing that will be going on this weekend is the 21st annual Findlay First Edition and Voices in Perfection Christmas show at Findlay High School, and Director Kevin Manley is with us uh, on the line this morning. 21st annual, I know... Uh, Everybody's excited about being able to get back uh, on stage and and uh, perform your uh, regular shows, uh, do all of your uh, regular stuff that you have done uh, in the past after last year. Uh, yeah, that's right. We're so excited, and thank you for having me this morning uh, to kind of get the word out. Um, obviously, we couldn't have the event last year, and uh, it's just so great to have it back this year and get everyone in the holiday spirit and... Uh, enjoy time together so now the uh the group uh has actually uh been had a really good year i know you've uh, done uh, a lot of uh, shows and uh, how exciting is that for the kids uh, especially after all of the uh, frustrations last year to be able to uh to travel and do the shows and and so on that you have done yeah it's just beyond exciting to be able to get back in front of a live audience uh we participated in some virtual events last year and felt fortunate to have an event to participate in, but virtual music is just not the same as yeah. live in front of an audience. So yeah. um, it's just so great to be back. We were uh, talking about that with Kahuna yesterday, as a matter of fact, talking about the uh, Christmas <clears throat> jam. It's performers of all kinds really feed off of the energy from the audience. So doing it in the virtual space is better than not doing it at all, but it's just not the same. It is not the same. So uh, we feel very fortunate. Obviously, every performance we get now is 
Uh, we don't take it for granted anymore. Uh, we know how oh, that, how blessed we are to have these kind of opportunities. So well, that yeah, is, we're just so excited to I, be back. I guess that's one of the silver linings and all of that is that you do tend to take things for granted because you do them all the time. And then when suddenly that rug's yank, the rug is yanked out from under you, uh, you start to appreciate uh, all of those things that much more. What are some of the uh, highlights before we talk about the uh, Christmas show? What have uh, been some of the highlights for FFE this year? Well, so far, um, you know, we did our Fall Show Choir Festival in October uh, that was very well attended. Um, we hadn't had the Fall Festival in a couple of years, so that felt great. Uh, we went down to Ada and competed in November, our first competition of the year. We came in second place down there. Uh, but the energy of the crowd that day was just yeah. amazing because um, we didn't get that at all last year, really. We performed in front of some crowds, but it was just parents. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so having the energy <laughs> of the crowd down there was really something. And so, the, the parents are going to uh, applaud then, anyway. <laughs> well, you're right. They're, they're going to let you know how great you are, you know, no matter what. But, uh, exactly. Yeah. Then, you know, I had those eight kids that uh, we just came back from New York City a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, we performed at Feinstein's 54 Below there on uh, 54th Street in New York. Um, just an amazing venue, an amazing opportunity for the students. Um, there was a lot of Finley people there, obviously, but there was also a lot of New York City residents in the crowd, and uh, so cool. it was just fantastic. So yeah, cool. fantastic. So cool. So the uh, FFE VIP Christmas show, uh, tell us all about this. Yeah, well, it's this Saturday. We have two shows. Uh, the first performance is at 4 o'clock here at the high school in Heminger Auditorium. Uh, and then the second show is at 7.30. At this point, um, all the orders for dinners uh, have been placed. Mm-hmm. We may have some limited dinners um, available at the door, but we have plenty of seats available. So if people just want to come to the show, uh, tickets will go on sale a half hour before each performance. Um, plenty of seats to get everybody in. So come on out and enjoy the show. And again, this features uh, both uh, Findlay First Edition and Voices in Perfection, the uh, freshman choir. That's right. And this is the first big show for for VIP this week. So uh, especially come out and cheer them on. Uh, You know, they went through a couple of tough years in middle school with with no performing. So here we are, and they they get a, finally get out there in front of a big crowd. So I know they're really excited. Yeah, that's a, a good point. I mean, we talk about uh, FFE and some of the things that they have been able to do, but especially for the VIP kids, uh, this is a really special uh, performance. So uh, just all the more reason to encourage yeah. folks to come out and pack the house. That's right. Uh, we always say that it's this time of year when the light bulb really goes off for the freshmen. You know, they they see what's possible ahead of them. So that's what makes this weekend so important for them, especially. And uh, people will get a chance to see half of our competition show, even though uh, First Edition does mostly Christmas music. We're going to do three songs from our competition show. So that way people get an idea of what we're planning for the rest of the year. And what is on the schedule for the rest of the year? I mean, what uh, do you have uh, planned? And obviously, as we know, uh, things can change uh, as we have seen. But uh, as of right now, what is on the schedule for the rest of the year moving forward? Yeah, we've got a full season planned. Uh, We're going to compete five times. Uh, We'll be, you know, at Marion, Ohio. We'll be over in Medina, over in the Cleveland area. Uh, several competitions here in Ohio. And then our big trip, of course, is back down to Nashville 
and uh, show choir nationals will be on stage at the Grand Ole Opry the third week of March. So uh, it's a big year. Uh, obviously, we couldn't go to Nashville the last two years. So mm-hmm. um, we're really and the exciting thing about it's always exciting to be in Nashville and be on stage at the Opry. But I don't have any students that have ever been there before. Wow! So it can be the first time for everybody in the group. Yeah, that is that is going to be really cool. And I can tell you, I you know we were in Nashville. Uh, I don't know about a year and a half ago. Uh, my wife and I did the Opry tour, and just standing on stage uh, is yeah. really cool. Yeah. I can't even imagine performing on stage. Just amps that up to the next yeah. level. So, you, you know, I've had the group there several times, and every time it's the same experience. You you walk yeah. on that stage, you get chills. Yeah, you know, it just knowing the history of the Opry and knowing how fortunate we are to perform there. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So, um, Good things happening for uh, Findlay First Edition and the uh, FFE and VIP Christmas show is coming up uh, Saturday, you said, right, at uh, Findlay High School. Yeah, Saturday here at the high school. Again, the shows are at 4 o'clock and at 7.30. Um, and if somebody wanted to call and reserve some tickets ahead of time, they could call the high school or they could call directly into my office, which is 567-250-5027. That would ring directly into my office and they could uh, talk to me and reserve some tickets that way. All right. We've got a link up on our webpage for more information from the FFE we- uh, Facebook page as well. So you can go to goodmornings.net and get that info. Again, Director Kevin Manley with us this morning. Certainly uh, best of luck. Have a great show this weekend and uh, best of luck through the rest of the season as well. Thank you so much, Chris. I truly appreciate it and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Maybe we can, t- we can get on and we can talk about Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. When we get a little bit closer, we'll definitely have you back. And that is our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the show, Mayor Christina Mern will discuss possible ways that the city of Findlay can put the governor's proposed first responder grant money to use. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.